Welcome to another episode of Crash Chords Autographs. I, of course, am Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon. And really quick, before we get into this week's episode, I, of course, want to thank my patrons, Rob, Frankie, Emily, Greg, Rocco, and Case. Thank you so much for supporting me via Patreon. If you, too, would like a shout-out at the top of the show, you can go to patreon.com slash Stormageddon, give it the $5 level, or at any level, um, if you just want to support me. If you can't do it that way, you can, of course, share the podcast, rate us, write us a review, retweet us on the social media any of that stuff is super helpful for getting the word out about the show and i appreciate it moving on to this week's guest the incredible kathleen cho who i met through my incredible spouse sarah kathleen is an incredible actress and video editor and more she is incredibly talented funny kind and just a badass in all respects i had such a great chat with her about her time on the Netflix series Maniac, as well as a bunch of other things. So without further ado, here's my incredible conversation with the brilliant Kathleen Cho. to have you on the show um, because yes, I've known you I for a long you. time just as one of Sarah's friends who I met through Sarah um, and who uh, was at our wedding and who I got to party with. Um, but I've gotten to know yes. you over the years. And of course, I also know another side of you, which is your acting, video editing, all performance uh, self as well. So uh, I'm really excited to get to chat with you. Um, in case I haven't said it yet on awesome. air, I'm talking with the incredible Kathleen Cho. So Hi. thank you for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me. This is awesome. I've been, I'm like such a fan of your podcast. So this is like, I'm like super excited right now. Oh, thank you. That's very sweet. Um, so I guess the first thing I wanted to start by talking about is so you've done a um, quite a, a wide range of different works. Um, you work both behind and in front of the camera. Um, I'm curious, did you always want to be an actress? Is, did you always want to work in film and TV? Is that a thing that you've always wanted or did that come later? Um, I actually did not start out wanting to be an actor, which is very funny. Um, a lot of my film and TV friends still kind of like poke fun at me for that. Um, I went to <laughs> NYU for film and television production and um, wanted, I loved movies, I still do, I loved movies, um, didn't have a lot of filmmaking experience in high school just because my high school wasn't equipped for that, but was obsessed with movies and um, went to NYU. And then, um, and then looking back on it, it's really funny when you sort of looking back on it, like my last year I was getting really, really burned out and I was doing all the right things. I was like, I had an internship, I'd learned nonlinear editing, so I was employable, I had production experience, and um, I was going um, part-time my last semester, um, one, because my scholarship money ran out, and two, because, um, it, you know, I was like, okay, well, if I'm only going part-time, then I'll get to work, which I did. So everything, you know, and the economy was good at the time and, and I graduated and I got work, you know, I had a, I had an NYU degree, so I got work like fairly easily. Um, well, not easily, but you know, it opened a lot of doors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> still had hustle. I was still a woman and still POC. So, um, yeah, had a hustle and, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I got work and then I just, you know, I worked, I just. And the thing is in the the business too, is that, you know, it burns you out, you know, um, it just does because like you start out as a PA or you start out as an assistant and the hours are grueling and the pay is low. And I was excited. I was just happy to be working. Um, but after, and I worked my way up the ladder, like fairly fast, um, just because, and, um, and uh, yeah, and then I remember I was producing like a series of short films that was going to be on Sesame Street and I should have been over the moon and I was just so tired and I was like, wow, like I'm making money and I actually <laughs> really don't like what I'm doing. <laughs> like, and it was hard because um, it was, I was good at it. I mean, you know, it's, it's like producing is a skill and it was just something that I happened to be good at and um I also I, I also started out as an editor, um, which I still do, obviously, um, but not I don't do it to the extent that I was like I was doing 12 hour shifts of overnights because I was an assistant and um, 
and the money was great. Like I was in my early twenties and you know, I was, I didn't care that I didn't sleep at night and, and my rent was paid and I had money left over. And then um, my eyesight actually started to get worse. And my doctor, I remember going to him and he was just so concerned and he's like, Hey, you know, kiddo, your eyesight shouldn't be like, you know, I know you're genetically disposed to like bad eyesight, but it shouldn't be this bad. I'm like, well, what do I do? And he says, well, you could keep doing what you're doing and we can just go with it or we, you can find another line of work. And I, was, I just remember being like kind of devastated and also relieved at the same time because um, it was good work. And, but it was also like I sat alone in a room most of the time in the dark uh, yeah, you just, you know, if you don't have a lot of interaction, like you kind of get weird. I think, I think a lot of yes. people are finding, <laughs> I think a lot of people are finding that right now. It's like, oh, like yes. I haven't talked to a human. I should probably do that. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's a revelation as an introvert. Cause you know, yeah. I, I do enjoy my alone time. And so that's what I kind of relished about being an assistant editor. It's like, I'm alone in a room and I get to do my thing. And then it got to be like, I'm alone in a room and, oh, okay. <laughs> and I'm just talking to the computer because I'm going nuts. So, um, yeah. And then, um, so I, I just kind of burnt out and then, um, but I kept working, obviously. And then, a, and then um, a friend of mine was like, you know, me, there's a program. I started just taking acting classes because she sort of encouraged me. She's like, try something new. And I ended up liking it. And then the teacher took a liking to me at the class I was taking and said, you know, there's a you have a good feel for language. There's a summer program at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art in London. If you know, if you could go, I would encourage you to. I was like, okay. So I went and I came back. I'm like, oh Christ, like I really love this. What do I do? <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I like this thing. Like, how do I, I do more? How do I do this? Like, what do I do? And I just started making money and like film and TV. Like, what do I do? Which was, you know, had made my parents feel better about the path I've been pursuing. <laughs> like, oh, she's making right. money. It's fine. And then I was about to embark on this other thing. And I talked to the same friend who had encouraged me to take acting classes. And she was one of my best friends in college. She still is. And and she was like, look, you know, you know what my life is. It is 98% trying to get a job and 2% actually having one. And, you know, I've never forgotten this. She's like, the 2% has to be worth it. You know, mm -hmm. it just has to be worth it. Otherwise, it's not worth doing. And I was like, okay. And I thought about it long and hard. And I was like, all right, well, you know, I think it's worth it. So, and now here I am. <laughs> here you are. Here I am. Um, I know. It's, re it's really interesting the path we take to get to the arts that we want to do. Like, Absolutely. I, I've been podcasting for a long time now. But I know. like, And I always kind of wanted to be like a radio DJ back when radio was still a thing. I mean, totally. I guess it's still a thing. But like, yeah. I never envisioned that this would be my path. But I think a lot of folks... Um, especially around our age, like kind of find a thing that they're good at and then they find a way to build success around it because that's kind right. of how the job market is right now. Nobody kind of falls into work anymore. You kind of have to drag yourself, kicking, even kicking and screaming sometimes because right. things don't really fall into your lap. And like like looking at even your, the list of stuff you've been in, you know, it's a wide variety of things. So I imagine, you know, while auditioning and looking for work, um, it must be a pretty hectic process trying to get booked and and the audition process. Does the, I, I imagine I know the answer to this question, but does the audition process stress you out? Does it freak you out? Or do you just kind of, you know, it's the work and you got to do it? You know what? It's gotten there. It's It used to freak me out so much. And um, now it's sort of, um, it's sort of like, oh, I have an audition, like I have a chance to act, you know, which is, which is great. And I think one thing that's also come of being um, in quarantine is just, I'm doing a reading right now, I'm in a rehearsal for a reading, which is over Zoom offs, because we can't be in the same room together. But right. we're all collaborating on this script. And I, I love working with new playwrights. I think that's also why I like working in TV. It's just because I know a lot of people complain because, oh, my God, the script is changing all the time. But I actually enjoy that. It's like, oh, okay, like, this is written better now, or I get this more. Um, and I think a lot of it, and, you know, Sarah can attest to this, is just like the way that our program was. It was about collaborating with new playwrights and like something is constantly evolving. Um, so, but yeah, it was just, um, you know, obviously like we, everything shut down on the 13th and we've all been home and I'm doing this reading now over Zoom, which I'm getting paid for, which is nice. 
And it's just nice talking to a director or talking to other actors and like figuring out characters. And I was just like, oh yeah, like I really love to act. Like this is a good reminder. And so with auditions too, it's, I get self tapes and, and it's, you know, I go back and forth. Some of it is like, oh God, I'm so tired. I mean, like a lot of us, I think are just like, I can't like function today or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. And then, um, but you know, now I get them. I'm like, oh, okay, great. Like this is a chance for, there's still opportunity, you know, like I really miss the, I won't say I miss auditioning. (laughs) (laughs) I miss the high of possibly getting a job as funny as that sounds, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's been really curious. I'm like, oh, like, wow. I never thought I would miss that. Okay. This is, this is good. (laughs) It's funny with with you specifically as an actress. Um, when I first met you, I knew I knew that you and the group of friends that uh, Sarah knows you through were all involved in um, TV and movies to some degree, and you know. But I didn't quite know. I might have known that you were an actress, but like it was very nebulous, and it wasn't until much later. Like I would walk into <laughs> the room, and like Sarah would be watching something, and there you are, just popping up on screen. I think it was your episode of Quantico, which was a show I didn't watch, and Sarah had watched without me. And I remember like coming in into either the bedroom or the kitchen when she was watching it, and like just as your scene starts uh, with the lead actress of the show, and I was just like, "Wait, is that is that Kathy?" <laughs> like, and it's just so surreal. And what's even funnier is like knowing you and knowing your personality. We've gotten to hang out quite a few times and and I adore you. But like the kind of snarky sarcasm that you had, at least in that scene, I was like, oh, yeah, that's Kathy. Yeah, that's totally her. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's her. I know. Well, what's so funny, too, is like when people um, for the most part. Yeah, it's it's I remember the first one of the first commercials I booked and I didn't have any lines and um, I just kind of like stood there and smiled and I was I went to Thanksgiving and my uncle was standing outside having a smoke and I'm like hi you know it's so good to see you he's like you know what I was watching TV the other day and I saw this girl on it and she looked just like you I was like, oh, what was she doing? It's like, she was smiling at a bunch of people, like a bunch of old people, like outside of a deli. I was like, yeah, that was totally me. (laughs) 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 And he was just looking at me like, oh, you know. um, Yeah, it's funny because I know people sort of see see that and people who know me and then they see me and some people are like, oh, that's totally you. And other times they're like, God, you didn't act like you at all. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, I don't know quite how to take that but (laughs) like is that good or bad like when I was a lawyer on SVU recently like someone said to me it's like god you're so bitchy like I'm so glad you're not like that in real life I'm like I I don't think she's bit okay (laughs) sure well I mean and like you know fans fans will kind of blur the lines a little bit you know or people who really like those shows like you know Sarah having recurred on as many as as SVU as many times she did like a lot of the folks who follow her are like oh my god you know like Sarah would post photos of her baking something and they would say stuff and like it's just kind of the the realm of this line between actor and and character Um, and social media has kind of like blown that up a bit because you have a little more access to those people if you want to follow them and, and interact with them. I want to talk about one of the more recent things you did, which was back in 2018 when you were on Maniac, which was a TV miniseries on Netflix. And what was really cool about that was to get, you know, a lot of the stuff that you'd done before and after are like you're this one character in this one episode, but this you were a recurring character, three. Yes. Um, and like it, it must have been so fun to be able to play in that space and work with, with these actors in because it seems like also the show is just very different from anything you had done as well. Yeah, totally different. No, it was a blast. It was, um, and it was, you know, that was a classic though, in that the scripts were changing every day. (laughs) Oh, wow. They were changing every day. And um, so we kind of didn't know what to expect. And I think one of my castmates put it best. It's like at one point, you know, and I'm fairly, I like to be prepared. And so I would get the scripts and I would read them and be like, okay, this is happening today. And um, I was also nervous because it was my first, you know, time on like where I didn't just show up for the day. I was there for quite a few, you know, quite a few episodes. So, and I wanted to get it right. And um, which is, you know, 
we all know that it's like there is no getting it right. There, there just is. But you know, I'm like, right. oh, I don't want to screw up. So, um, but I remember one day, like, I had a scene with Jonah, and um, and there were lines, and I'm being nervous. So there's only like you know a handful of them. Okay, okay, okay. And I'm like memorizing it and doing my work and whatever. And then um, one of the PAs comes up to me. He's like, Hey, Carrie wants to talk to you. I was like, Oh yeah, sure. I'm like, Oh shit, am I gonna get fired? Like, what's going on? <laughs> of course, I immediately go there. Right, and- of course. <laughs> I go, I, you know, and I meet him like, hey, what's up? And he's like, hey, so I'm thinking about the scene and I think there's a way we can make it funnier. So like, let's talk about it. And part of me was so happy, like, I'm going to get to contribute. And the other part was like, motherfucker, like I've been working on this and now it's all going to change. Like, oh, but it was really great. Like, and that was also, um, it was like being in a theater, you know, and you're talking to the playwright. I was talking to Patrick um, the writer, the head writer, and I was talking to Carrie and it was the three of us together, just like making up shit, you know, which was really funny. Um, yeah, the whole bit about, um, uh, it's like, I'm pretty sure he has my, what did I say? I was like, you know, the other one, it's like, you know, I don't trust this place. It's like, I don't know, people keep disappearing. And like, I'm pretty sure that guy has my father's eyebrows or something. And like, that just came <laughs> out, you know, because what was really funny was that Justin, um, he actually did have my father's haircut, like way back in the 80s. So, oh, wow. And I remember that the first day I saw him, I was like, that's my father's hair. Like, that's just <laughs> so funny. And I was like, maybe I'm making that up. And I came home and I like looked at a picture. I was like, nope, that's my dad's hair. <laughs> so <laughs> there was a day on set when he and I were just kind of alone together and, you know, just kind of chit chatting. And and I was like, hey, like, I just have to tell you this, but you actually that your hair is exactly the way my father's was like in the early 1980s and he just laughed and so that was fun but yeah it was trippy like I remember my first day on set just walking around just be like this is amazing like it's just so amazing and it's so weird and so like but you know they created this really amazing world where sort of like anything could happen yeah and um which is one of the things I really loved about it but sometimes like none of us knew what was going on so it was like going back to my training I was like why might my character not know what's going on and that helped a lot so I'm like okay um I mean it also helped that like the cast that I spent most of my time with which was um Elise and Danny and Steven um they were just they're all so great and so and they've been doing this for a while so um you know just to kind of be around them and you know what I'd have moments where I'd be like oh my god I think I'm gonna get fired and then one of them would be like yeah me too I was like you like why would they fire you like you're right, amazing yeah. and but they would say the same thing I was like I don't know what I'm doing and I was like oh my god <laughs> I thought I was the only one okay that's great so yeah but it's uh the set the the camaraderie on set is just kind of amazing yeah, I, I, it doesn't surprise me at all to hear that other artists think they're going to get fired all the time. Um, it's, it's, I think, something all of us do as nerds and as artists. We just assume that we're screwed around every corner, even when we're not. Just <laughs> right. not even based on any reality. It's just like, uh, like right. it, it became a running gag where one of my other podcasts that I do with my uh, friend, uh, Rachel, who's a comedian, we say at the end of every episode that we think the network we're on is going to fire us. It'll never happen. But like it gives <laughs> into that like paranoia that you're like afraid that any minute could be your last for whatever you're doing. I know. And it's so it's just it's how we psych ourselves out. It's just so funny. I mean, you know, they obviously hired us for a reason, you know, and right. it's just because of like what we can contribute and that's what they want. And so, you know, and everyone screws up. I think that was another thing that I really kind of loved is just watching everyone make mistakes, you know, like I'm watching Sally field and she like dropped a line. I was like, Oh my God, you're Sally field. Like what? (laughs) Right. (laughs) I don't understand. Um, Yeah. So it was, uh, yeah, but it was a great job. It was a really great job. Um, I want to talk a little bit about like the fact that you're a multi-hyphenate and you could probably do anything, which is very impressive Aww. to me. And the fact that not only do you enjoy acting and you're an incredible editor and uh, you also enjoy knitting, cooking, skating, you're a photographer. <laughs> like, it's just... And I mean, I think that's kind of a sign of the times, right? Like, we all have to know how to do a ton of things. Like, the reason I know how to edit audio and can edit all of my own podcasts is 
because no one was doing it for me, right? Like I wanted to make right. a podcast, so I had to learn. And so like I imagine a lot of the both hobbies and non-hobbies that you do, a lot of it comes from like, well, if no one else is going to do this, I got to do it. Right. But it's also stuff you have aptitude for. Like you you learned how to edit your own stuff and you're actually good at it. You know, I, <laughs> I, I'm guessing you enjoy it. I'm guessing because, you know, you mostly. Do this a yeah. Lot. <laughs> but um, yeah, but you just have a certain aptitude. To it. Like I love like, um, you know, what was so great was that, you know, you and I both worked on that show that Anjali Crochet did mm-hmm. um, with Samus and um, yes. just the creative quarantine series. And I just remember like watching that interview and Samus is talking about being a multi hyphenate and how we're all sort of of like taught at a very young age that we have to be like one thing and pursue this one thing and so um but now it's more accepted to be a multi-hyphenate you know um yeah. like like JLo or um she's the only one who's coming to my right now or you or me um there we go <laughs> um but um yeah actually my friend James um James Eichelhart he wrote uh some comic books for Spider-Man which I think is amazing because he's also yes, a huge he nerd yes he did um which I haven't gotten to pick up yet but um but he's done that um but yeah it's just I don't know yeah it's like I learned how to edit and I actually like doing it I love the problem solving and the puzzle solving I'm going to totally nerd out for a minute, but like Marsha Lucas for Star Wars is kind of like my idol because it's um, just in terms of editing because she basically took Star Wars and a lot of people don't know. It's like she took Star Wars and she made it into the movie that you see today pretty much because that's like all her. And like the classic thing is, um, I mean, worked with the team, of course, but that um, the scene with the Tuscan Raider where he um, he's going like, you know, he's like clobbered Luke and he's like raising the the rifle up and down his head that actually never existed george lucas had cut off the camera um like as the tuscan reader put his arms up and down and that was it that was all the footage there was and this is before digital so um they had to extend that moment you know because that was the beat and so they they took that film and they basically made a dupe of it over and over and that's where you get the tuscan reader putting his arms up and down and i remember hearing that in class and reading about it later and my teacher going like that's craft you guys you know like editing is not just putting stuff together it's about like the flow it's about beat it's about timing it's all this and I just remember being like so entraptured by that I still am you know um, when I'm cutting something together it's just kind of like when does it feel right like when does it because like human beings we have a sort of natural rhythm that we sort of live Mm -hmm. our lives to even though we don't like we're not aware of it all the time but it comes out in filmmaking because, um, you know, um, there's a natural rhythm of things. And you can see it. It's like you can see when something is badly edited. <laughs> it's sort yes. of, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And some of us more than others because it's what we do for a living. Just like, you know, I'm sure you can hear like bad cuts and podcasts and like audio recordings be like, oh, my God, like who edited that together? You know, it's <laughs> it's hard to see it. Yes. But sure. um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I enjoy that. I enjoy writing. Um, I enjoy, you know, you have to love it, you know, because most of the time people don't want to pay you to do it. (laughs) Right. Like, you do have to. Yeah. And what was really funny about what you were saying before about editing and re- and recognizing the craft is like uh, Sarah and I will talk about this all the time when it comes to audio editing because a lot of podcasts get produced out of this small Brooklyn apartment um, when you can cut. <laughs> When you can cut audio together where there was no breath and like the, there wasn't a natural pause and you can make it sound seamless so the, the sentence is just ongoing, it feels like a magic trick. And I imagine while it editing does. too, oh my God. while, <laughs> while editing, I must feel the same. Like when you get like the perfect beat for a reel or when you're editing stuff together and it cuts together well, like even better than you thought, you're like, it's magic. I know. And the really funny thing too is like when you can manipulate it, you know, um, Mm -hmm. which sounds horrible, but it's really true. It's just sort of like when you can manipulate it and the action still seems seamless, but, um, Mm -hmm. you know, the beat just kind of goes on and, or yeah, it's just, I just did that right now in somebody's reel, you know, which is a different beast in itself. You know, you're trying to 
at least the way I do it, um, you're trying to focus it so that it's on the actor and showing off what the actor can do of who's ever real it is. So you don't want it lingering too much on other actors' faces. And so, um, you know, when you can cut it together and make it seamless and just make it seem like that actor who may have had like two lines in the scene is the star of that scene, I'm just like, oh, <laughs> so great. Um, yeah, but it's even, you know, and <clears throat> there's all this, it also makes you the real, uh, realize the sort of power of um, the medium, you know, of filmmaking and TV. It's because how you can sort of, again, there's that word manipulate it um, or just, I guess, craft it. That's a better word, right? That has more sure. positive connotation. Yeah, let's do that. Um, how you can craft it um, so that um, the focus is not on another person or it becomes another person's story or it becomes from their point of view. It's just, it's, it'll never stop being fascinating for me. Like, oh, it's just so great. That's awesome. Well, and so like, I have a question. So obviously I've watched a bunch of the things that you've been in, but I did watch your reel before the interview just to freshen up and remember some stuff. With your reel, did you edit your reel or is it too close? Do you need someone else to do it for you? I edited my, I edit my own reel, but for um, Maniac in particular, I basically hired someone to go through the episodes that I was in and pull out my best bits because mm. I was way too close to it. Um, yeah, I couldn't do it. I tried and <laughs> I was just sort of like, I, I honestly like, wow, this is what I tell my clients all the time. It's like, you know, I think I know what my best bits are, but then, like, I don't know if it shows me off. And I actually, there's one scene that's in my reel that I actually don't like the way I look. But everyone, you know, the person who picked out my stuff was like, "You looking, you look good in it," and everyone else is like, "You look great." And I'm like, "Okay, so I'm obviously saying something that they're not, right? You know, so I'm going to trust them and put it in." And, um, and yeah, it's the one where I'm shoving food into my mouth. I'm like, I look disgusting. I'm just like my cheek. I'm like, blah, blah. <laughs> and like my friend who had pulled it was like, you have to leave that in there because it's so funny. I'm like, all right, fine. But yeah, I mean, that's a lot of when um, I have meetings or whatever, people are like, God, I, like, you're just so good in it. And I was like, oh, well, thank you. And I was like, yeah, you know, that scene about the cat's uterus. I'm like, oh, my God, like, really? Why is that, <laughs> why is that the consistent one across the board? <laughs> like, I think the one where I'm going like, hey, guys, what are you doing? I actually think that's pretty cute. And but uh -huh. no one talks about that. I'm like, okay. <laughs> You never know what people are going to focus on, like, and, like, recording as many podcasts as I do, like, people will call out jokes that I made 15 episodes ago, and I'll have to, like, nod and smile I'll be like, sure, yeah, I, that sounds like something I would have said, I'm sure I did, I'm glad you enjoyed it, because, like, I can't remember, like, right. the amount of hours I've recorded myself speaking, and also, I don't listen, like, when I edit stuff, I don't listen to anything I'm saying, I don't care, like, I'm listening to the guest or the other co-host, because, like, I, I don't, I'm I'm at one with my own ridiculousness, and so if I say something <laughs> like stupid or put my foot in my mouth, so be it. Like unless it's something, of course, I like it. I shouldn't have said or that's offensive or like I should know better. Like that's a different story. But like otherwise, if I come off just sounding really goofy, I don't care. Um, and it's one of it's one of those that's things awesome. where you like can't you can't always see what other people see. And so it's important to listen right. to those other people when they say, oh, this is great, or this is not great, or what What was this, you know? Right, exactly. Yeah, I know. We're like our own worst critics. It's really, really, really true. And so, and that's why I always tell, you know, um, with certain, you know, it's like you work with certain artists, like certain directors and certain actors even. And, and it's just sort of like, I feel like the ones who are the most successful are the ones who know how to collaborate. And that's with anything, you know, um, uh, I, I remember reading something about Spike Lee and how he just basically walks away when he's in the editing room. He's just like, I, I let him handle it. And then I come back and I see what he's done. I was like, yeah. that's great, you know, because I know so many people who wouldn't have that kind of trust, you know, just be like, I need to be there for every single cut that's being made. And when I was working more as an editor, um, I worked with people like that or assisted an editor on stuff like that. And it's never a fun room to be in, like ever, because someone is being so incredibly micromanagery and just is way too close to the material. And editing is all about like being ruthless. You know, it's like, what is going to tell the story? 
um, and not be superfluous. You know, you still have to main, you have to retain the audience member's attention. And which is why I get so irritated at filmmaking where it's just shot after a beautiful shot. I'm like, okay, this is gorgeous, but it's like, I'm not, I didn't go to the movies to go to a museum. Like, (laughs) no, I mean, and it's horrible. Like there are some cinematographers I really love and there are some shots that are really beautiful. And I'm like, it's just not necessary. It's not, it's just, it's gorgeous. And sorry, put a big red grease pencil through it. Like (laughs) it's just, it's gotta go. Um, Yeah. It's a good transition, though, to my next question, because I was going to ask, like, as an actress and as an editor, do you find that you can still enjoy TV and movies and kind of turn your brain off and just take it in? Or are you always analytical and looking looking at it through a lens? Ooh, you know what? Like when I was when I was first out of film school and this is because I was just first out, um, I wasn't able to join the movies as much. Like, you know, it was like you said, it was like I would go in and just like, oh, they did this or us, you know, they did that or what, you know, whatever. Um, And now I'm, I'm, I think I'm finally back at the point, or maybe I've been here for a few years, that like I can go to the movies and actually enjoy them because it doesn't seem like work. (laughs) Um, With acting, it totally depends. Like, there are sometimes I go and I can't help myself. I just kind of pick it apart. Um, and but there's sometimes I go and I like observe. Like Kate Blanchett, I remember seeing her. I've seen her twice. I saw her in Uncle Vanya, and I just like loved everything she was doing. Like it was just so incredible to me. And the thing is, what was so great about it is like I never knew what she was going to do next, which is what I kind of love about her. Like she came from a school of very. Um, Uh, like it was about um it's a different method of acting than the way like I learned and but it was still like you know there are some people who are come out of certain training programs and you can you know what they're going to do like you just know and um so watching them is not very exciting um but then there are actors like Kate Blanchett um who I watch and I was like I don't know what you're going to do next like this is great um or Ian McKellen same thing it's like I don't know what you're going to do like this is so exciting to me so, um, so I like it watching from that point of view, but like, then there are actors I watch and they're just so bad. And I'm just like, all right, what are they, which is horrible to say, but sure. it's like, but you're like, okay, what are they? Okay. Yes. And oh, now you're okay. All right, cool. Blah, blah. And now you're just yelling and now you're angry. I'm making air quotes. Um, like you can see me, but, um, yeah, I know it's always this like fine balance. It's just, but it's terrible too, because like I'll be watching, I finally saw Endgame, like, I can't believe it took me this long, but I finally did. Well, also because the movie is long. And yeah. I was like, all right, I need to set aside three hours of my life because I want to watch it because it's the end. I think also I, I didn't want to watch it because it was the end. And I thought right. by not watching it, it wouldn't be. Whatever. That's right. the way my mind works. But I, <laughs> I finally watched it. And, and I just remember watching this one actor in particular and just being like, okay. <laughs> like nodding my head and just be like, yeah. like, dude, what are you doing? Oh, okay. Okay, cool. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny to have those interactions or, or different knowledge uh, backgrounds to go into that stuff. Like, it's funny you mentioned, like, Kate Blanchett and Ian McKellen before. And, like, watching those two actors play in the Marvel Universe or the extended Marvel Universe, like in X-Men, which wasn't part of this, the MCU, like they are so much more interesting to watch than a lot of other folks on screen because of their styles. Like um, Kate Blanchett as Hela was just put things into that character that I don't think anyone else playing Hela would have done. And it made it more interesting in that way, you know? And then like, you know, it's, it's one of those things also, like you mentioned Endgame, like, Endgame hit me hard, not necessarily because of the performances, but because of the way the story ends. The fact that yes. these characters you've been with for so long. Like, I know. I, I saw it in the theater twice. I haven't watched it since oh. it came to Disney+. Plus. But, like, both times, I'm ugly crying in the final scenes. And Sarah's, like, just <laughs> holding my hand. And, oh, like, my God. It just it ruined me. And and I don't know that it's necessarily the performance. I think of course it's partly the performance, but I think part of it is also just the ride, right? The spectacle, which I it think is. is just as important. I know. It's like that I mean, talk about like this great cinematic moment when like suddenly all of them like are together. 
you yeah. know, and like all the portals open, and all of them are together, and then Captain America goes like assemble. I'm like like you. I'm like bawling. <laughs> like I'm alone in my apartment. I mean, I've already been in quarantine for God knows how many days, and like I am like crying. Like it's just horrible. Like there's a box of Kleenex in front of me. Like oh my god, this is like <laughs> terrible. But yeah, I don't know if I can watch it again either. It's just. I mean, it's the same reason why, um, like, uh, the last Star Wars movie, you know, it, it was the ending. And Star Wars, like, such a huge part of, like, who I am, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the first movies I ever loved, like, I can quote The Empire Strikes Back, like, verbatim from beginning nice. to end, which is, like, a little scary. Yeah, <laughs> but I can I can do it because that's how many times I've seen the movie. I still think it's the best one. No one can change my mind, and if you try to, you're wrong. Um, but... Um, but it was such a huge part. And so when it finally ended in like the rise of Skywalker, you know, which is not a perfect movie by any no. means, but I was like full on, I was at the Alamo, like full on ugly crying into my wine yeah. and popcorn. And my sister's like patting me on the knee. I'm like, <laughs> oh, my God. oh my God. Yeah. I mean, it was just, but it's that it's, the, it's the wrapping up of a, like a legacy and of a storyline, and I know I got like a lot of flack because people, I mean, you know, people were very divided about it. It was like someone's like, yeah. well, it was fan service, and so it was this, and you know, they completely took what uh, Rian Johnson had done in the second movie, and they said, well, actually, I was like, you know <laughs> what, I don't mind because yeah. for me, it was always about for me, it was always about this myth, you know. And this ongoing myth. And that's what kept me invested for like years and years and years. And, um, and so I thought it was a fitting ending, you know? Um, Sure. Yeah. I, I wait, I stayed out of the star Wars discourse, but I did say in the theater (laughs) when I saw it with Sarah, that I liked that movie. I liked rise of Skywalker. Was it great? No, but like the scenes where Ben is running to, to rescue Ray, like that whole, like that whole, moment still made me feel something and i and i got a lot out of it um that said of course i loved what ryan johnson built to and i would have loved to see that expanded and it's a bummer that it didn't um and i think we would have gotten a movie a better movie if we could build on that but that said i'm still satisfied with the ending i also am a diehard star wars fan but i i have other things to love so like if it's not perfect i'm not heartbroken um but you know i mean I, you can't tell someone else how to feel about a thing they care about, right? Like, they're going to be passionate about it however they are. I mean, some of the Star Wars fans need to jump in a lake. The ones who are like, yes, you know, do. like oh chasing, uh, chasing uh, Kelly Marie Tran off uh, the internet and all of that nonsense. Like, that was all really stupid. But, like, you know, so I think that at the end of the day, uh, we take a lot of this stuff personally because it we feels do. personal to us. You know, I was the same well, way with it, the music back in the day too. Like I hate Green Day now and I grew up loving Green Day and it's because <laughs> like their music took a turn that I was just like, this is garbage. What are you making? Why Why are you right. doing this? But you know, it's what not- What are you and, doing? But Green Day probably thinks they're doing a great job. And so, you know, it is what it is. Uh, but it's, it's well, very easy that. to get wrapped up in it. It is. And there's also that that um, that question of like, as an artist, you know, when you get to that point, when something becomes bigger than you, like, what do you owe your fans? Yeah, you know, again, I'm making air quotes in my in my you know, room, like you can see what I'm doing. But um, but it's true. It's just like Star Wars became this huge, enormous thing. And then the prequels, as much as I hate them, were um, were what George Lucas wanted them to be, you know? So now that I've had some distance from them, I can like look at it like that. But um, yeah, as movies, I don't think they hold up, but there are some people who do, my brother and I, Law and I argue about it all the time. He's like, they're not horrible movies. I'm like, oh, you and I are going to fight now. And, um, (laughs) but, um, but he has a certain, you know, he likes them. He thinks they fit well into the myth. And I like, they are not, you know, it's so funny because, um, the, the Mandalorian, there's like some, have you been watching the behind the scenes um, uh, uh, shows that are streaming right now on on um, Disney Plus about them where they go? So like, I watched, so I watched the Mandalorian, but I have not watched the behind the scenes stuff yet. I want to, I just haven't yet. Yeah, it's, um it's kind of fascinating. There's this one episode where uh, Dave Filoni is talking about, um, uh, you know, um, the relationship of like 
Anakin's arc throughout like the whole all of the nine movies and um, he's talking about like um, the search for a fa father figure and like basically Anakin was like looking for a father figure and blah, blah blah and how that sort of like pervades that theme pervades throughout all nine movies I'm totally paraphrasing but I'm like you know how Qui-Gon was sort of the substitute father for Anakin and then he got killed and all that kind of stuff and so it's Anakin's search for this father figure and I was like okay um I didn't see that executed in the first three movies. <laughs> yeah. like, uh, so, but to hear you, Dave Filoni, talk about it sounds really cool. Now, yeah. if that had been the three movies that I had seen, I think I would have enjoyed them more, but they were not. So there's that. That being said, what you just said is kind of amazing. So, um, but yeah, I mean, he truly believes that and like so does George Lucas and I'm like I, I don't know guys like I, I don't see it like I just <laughs> <laughs> but I believe that you believe it you know and sure. yeah yeah and I have my own relationship to these films that I love and and uh, but they're also the product out of your brain so again there's that thing it's just sort of like they've created something that is larger than them and so who owns it now Right. Well, and that's like the biggest question when you create anything. Like I've mm. I've done thousands and thousands of hours of recorded audio and like after a while, like the shows are the people for the people listening. Like I, I can, can say till the cows come home that I'm making them for me and I am to a degree, but like right. it's also for the people listening and, right. you know, upgrading equipment, uh, getting educated on topics you know less about, trying to do better, uh, promote diverse voices. All of this stuff comes with the territory of making something. And I right. think... We're all, because of the amount of access we all have now to everything from cameras to audio equipment to the internet, we're, we're learning how to create in a different way that I don't think people have done before, you know, you know, including yeah. more diverse voices, making sure that you're not just casting a, a ton of white men, you know, the, the, the idea that we can right. grow the art that we're making. And I think... It's figuring out how to navigate that space and doing it well and efficiently. That is where it becomes the hardest, but is worth the fight because it's important. Absolutely. Yeah, it's so important. You know, it's just, you know, it's just sort of like everyone, you know, like with the onset of technology and like you can make a movie on your phone now and, um, you know, you can make a podcast from your apartment. I mean, these are all great things. And it's just like, well, who's getting the attention? You know, there's this thing going on right now in the theater world where the Parsnip Ship, which is a podcast that has been doing plays via podcast for like years, um, and mostly like people of color and marginalized voices. And um, now that we're all in quarantine, and you know, theater companies can't get together. Um, like I think Williamstown and another company was like, Oh, well, we can put plays online. You know, and then NPR picks up the story and says like, oh, yeah, they're taking this novel approach to making theater. And, oh, and they, yeah. right. And they got called out on it. They're like, you know what? The Parsnip ship has been doing that for years. So, yeah. again, you're co-opting something and, um, you know, and using it to promote white theater <laughs> and saying that it's your <laughs> idea. And it really wasn't, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, it's just you know, you. I know it just it, it frustrates me so it's just like you know and it's NPR they should have known better like I'm like who sure. wrote that article like who did their who did not do their research um, yeah you know. it's 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 an endless battle and it's also like it's upsetting because the media doesn't always necessarily know like they just don't do the extra work right like I remember right. I've been podcasting for almost eight years <coughs> and I remember when right. Conan started his new podcast um, Conan O'Brien needs a friend which I'm a fan of because I like Conan O'Brien a lot right. I remember mm -hmm. when he like within the first like month or two that it's out it's got these record numbers and like some magazine wrote him up as like the future of podcasting Conan mm. makes it mainstream and I'm like what are you talking about and what's know, worse right? is like they didn't even interview Conan they just wrote an article about him so like Conan 
doesn't even have anything to do with it and probably didn't feel the way that they were right. Like, you know, I mean, he's always he's a comedian. He's always self-deprecating. But like it pissed me off so much as someone who's oh. been doing this for so long. And it's like, oh, because this famous white guy is doing it. I mean, and I'm right. a white guy, too. But like, <laughs> it's just this what? famous. <laughs> what? Um, oh, my God. <laughs> uh, but like this famous white guy who's been on TV for ages does it. So now it's the new hip thing, even though it's a thing that's been around for almost a decade. And he came to it because he had nothing better to do at this point, you know, or wanted right. another thing to do. Right. It's just so insane. And, you know, like you, it's like, I like Conan. Like, I, lo- I like a lot of these people and companies doing this work. It's just like to say, to all of a sudden have it get attention because of who they are is, in- and for credit not being due right. um, to the people who started it. I mean, to their credit, Williamstown, like, actually like after I think the article came out approached the parsnip ship and said like um look (laughs) (laughs) sorry like that you know we were actually huge fans of yours like we never meant to imply that we came up with this and you know I don't know like I don't want to lay blame or whatever but it's just like okay like they didn't have control about how it was put in the press but the fact is like NPR did did not acknowledge that it had been done way before, you know, they even, it was like a flicker in their eye, like, oh, let's do a podcast. (laughs) So yeah, it's like that's, and that's like the love-hate relationship. I Well, not even love. I like, Twitter is just so much noise. I know a lot of people I love, like, really love it. Um, But for me, it's just always been about so much noise. But, and I was talking to a friend about this who was like addicted to Twitter. Mm -hmm. And she was just like, you know, it's a way for marginalized voices to be heard, you know, um, a lot of like reporters, like a lot of BIPOC journalists, um, are all over Twitter. Um, a lot of BIPOC, um, writers, you know, are, are very active on Twitter. So there's that. And I'm like, okay, like that's valid. It's just, I, I don't know. I I haven't learned how to filter. (laughs) I'm just sort of like, Oh my God, there's so much. I mean, I feel like with social media, it's, you've got a mass, like, uh, a friend of mine, um, Stella Chu, who is a well-known cosplayer and big-time nerd and streamer, um, talk, t- uh, talks about how with social media, you have to master one. Like, you can use as many as you want, but you have to focus on one. And I think, for me, the reason Twitter feels like um, a thing that is positive and that I can be heard on is because I've also curated it within an inch of its life. I'm not following anybody that I don't want to hear from. I am, you know, because it's not like I can get my news from a ton of places. If I'm going on my social media, it's to... Um, engage with folks and it's how I've made the most connections in the video game industry that I've ever made is through Twitter but it's not everything is for everyone like on the same hand I deleted Facebook from my phone and I don't use my personal Facebook Mm. anymore I use my professional page and the pages for my podcast because I don't have a choice like they won't exist if I don't use them but you know I I had to remove Facebook from my phone because it was stressing me out and making me upset and (laughs) you know it's we all have family members, that family member who we don't want to interact with on the internet because they're a Trump supporter <laughs> or whatever other thing. And it's like, okay. yes, we should be engaging those folks in conversation, but you'll never win an argument on Facebook ever. No, you won't. It's just, I know. And I keep seeing, like, I've been slowly pushing, pulling back on my Facebook feed. And um, I, I'm much more like, um, I, I prefer Instagram. Um, Mm -hmm. I just think it's, I don't know, it just drives with me. So, but like you, it's just like, all right, well, you know, I have to put stuff out on Facebook or else, you know, it didn't happen, quote, end quote. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's just hard. It's just, and what I feel like, you know, conversation needs to come back. It's like people try to change each other's minds over social media. And I just, I just never see that happen. You know, it's just like. Um, they get into like these Facebook wars like online and I'm, it's just it's just like a lot of noise and I just feel like you know people like can you if you sit down in front of each other like face to face I think that's when actual change is there because when you're behind a keyboard you're you're picturing for whatever maybe we're just hardwired this way as humans you're picturing the worst case scenario of human on the other side right. of the keyboard Absolutely. you know and um, and so you're responding to that 
um, when you actually don't really know who the other person on the other side of the keyboard is, unless, of course, they happen to be your friend, you know. Um, right. But even then it can get weird, you know. It's just sort of like <laughs> your friend will post something and if they said it out loud in front of you, you'd have been like, oh, okay. But then they post it and you're like, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, totally. And like, you know, like I have friends who have posted fat phobic stuff on the internet and it's like, mm. like I'm married to a plus size woman. Really? Like, you know, I can see this. What right. are you doing? Like, but people don't think when they're behind a wall of anonymity and they just assume... Right. I'm free of judgment. And like a lot of people like to claim free speech. It means the freedom to speak, you idiot. It doesn't mean <laughs> you are free of consequence when you speak. Right, exactly. It's like you can say whatever the hell you want. It's just like you're, you just have to, you know, know that people are going to push back. Um, yeah. I know. I love it's that astonishing. The f it's, it's just astonishing the freedom that people think they have. Uh, behind a wall of the internet. But let's shift oh the conversation God. back to you and talking about <laughs> the things you've done. So we talked a lot okay. about, about your different hobbies and what you do to keep busy. We are in a time of quarantine. Um, as of when this episode comes out, we should still be in quarantine wearing masks, people. Still. Yes, we're, wearing we're not masks, through this social yet. distancing, please. <laughs> oh my God, please. Yes, Jesus. But... What I wanted to ask you was, as an actress and as an editor, um, do you find that you've been more productive or less productive now that you're stuck at home more? It went, it goes through phases. Like I yeah. was, the way I cope, I've discovered is that I keep busy, you know? Um, and so for the first, I think first few weeks of quarantine, I was like insanely productive. I was like, oh my God, I have all this time. And so I was um, my writing partner and I were like, okay, so we're going to like finish up the pitch for our TV show and um, we're going to finish writing the character Bible and like everything. And then I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Blah, blah, blah. And then I think week two, I hit a wall. Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, oh, and that's when I sort of like lay in the middle of my living room floor being like, I, I don't, I, I can't function. Um, and I sort of let myself have that. Um, for like a good week or so. And then after that, I've been, um, yeah, I mean, I've been pretty productive, which has been great. It's just sort of like, and the thing is about me too, is that I'm, I love to do stuff. And then I sort of, I start beating myself up because I'm like, well, I'm not doing enough. You know, there's <laughs> yeah. always like, yeah, it's like, there's like, where's that line of enough. And um, so I started before quarantine happened, I had been taking private Korean lessons, which is something I'd always wanted to do. And I found a really great teacher online. And so I started taking lessons. And then quarantine hit, I was like, Oh, wow, now I have all this time to study. And then I got really frustrated because I wasn't fluent after a month. <laughs> what like you what weren't? the hell i'm not fluent after like a month of like intense study no i wasn't fluent can you believe it it was yeah. like insane to me but i wasn't fluent and um or i wasn't progressing as much as i thought i should have and so and then i got really depressed and and then i had to sit myself down and be like you know i have made so much progress in that last month because i've had time um yeah. People do not learn how to speak languages in a month, no matter what <laughs> Rosetta Stone and Babel try to sell, you know, right. that dream to you. That just doesn't happen. So I have to, you know, sort of step back. And also um, just like my real business is going in a different direction. Like I'm working more with journalists, as you know, mm -hmm. and um, not just actors and um, and coaches and public speakers. And um, I've been able to make um, some headway in that area. Um and um, just writing and um, and just like reading books, like, oh, my God, there's all these like things that I was I was like, I never have time to just sit and and read, you mm -hmm. know, and I was a huge bookworm when I was a kid. Like I was that kid taking nine books out of the library. Like when I was a kid, like my mom would just drop me off at the library when she had to go do stuff and like come back because I would still be in the same corner just like reading. Um, but I haven't. There was this, God, I'm totally dating myself, but there used to be this commercial when Shelley Duvall would say like the average American only reads like one or two books a year. Uh -huh. And and um, I remember seeing that commercial be like, that's not true. <laughs> and then, now I'm much older and I'm like, oh, that's totally true. Like, oh my God. So um, yeah, I've been able to read, um, which has been really great. It just, 
it engages a different part of your brain, you know, um, For sure. and it just, yeah, it's a different, and it's really weird too, after, um, you know, um, realizing me how like connected I am to my phone. And so I have this rule now where I'm like, okay, like 10 o'clock, my phone goes down. I do not touch it. I'm with my parents now who have a house. So I like put it in another part of the house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and I, I let it charge and I go into my room and I read a book. And the first night I did it, I felt like something was off in my brain. It was just, yeah. you know, because I'm reading a book and it took me like a good 10 minutes to be able to focus on the book. And once I was focused on the book, I'm like, oh, this is great. But for 10 minutes, I was like, uh. Uh, like just jerking around like what (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i mean it's it's been and everyone's in a different place like um some people can't you know they're just not able to some people are using it to rest which is great because um they usually don't have the time um i've been reading a lot of articles about i mean i grew up with this big family and um we were kind of in each other's space all the time And as I got older, it wasn't until like I got older that I realized like, oh, not everyone grew up that way, (laughs) you know, like with cousins coming in and out of the door all the time. And, you know, your aunts basically being like your second mothers, you know, like not everyone grew up like that. Um, And some people just don't grow up with their siblings. You know, I mean, I did, but I know some people who don't. And um, I have a friend who's, um, you know, um, her kids are like 10 years apart and they're they've been forced to all be in the same house together. And she's like, it's really heartwarming because, you know, she'd be in college and she wouldn't be able to watch him grow up. And yeah. now she, she is, you know, she's like, and they're really close now. They wouldn't have had that if that hadn't happened. So, I mean, that's a good, I mean, you know, that being said, she's like, and then there are the, you know, moments when they want to kill each other. <laughs> you <know>? Sure. <laughs> Cause you have this like 18 year old and an eight year old in the same house. So she's oh like, boy yeah yeah so it's um so it's like a but people are able to have that now it's like i'm sheltering with my parents right now and and it's it's sort of like um it's it's a gift to be able to relate to them as an adult i think yeah and to be able to see them for who they are as people as opposed to them just being your parents you know um so i consider that a gift um it's, sappy as it sounds it's <laughs> <true>. <laughs> i mean sappy's okay you know i don't mind sappy. you know I, okay. I, think, I, th- I think that with the quarantine it, it's one of those things where you you can go either way but it's going to ebb and flow for most people like for me you know i felt completely unsatisfied and once i got furloughed from my day job i was like all right i'm gonna fill my time i'm gonna stream more which i have been doing mostly consistently yes. i'm gonna i'm gonna m- work on some other stuff but like you know <laughs> I thought, well, I'm quarantined. I already have four podcasts, but maybe I should start a new series that's something very different <laughs> so I can work on that. And like, and thankfully, like it's within the feed of Fun and Games, which is my video game podcast. It's a shorter form series and it involves a ton of guest hosts talking about their favorite video games. And it's really Love been a lot it. of fun. Um, it was born out of seeing a lot of negativity on online on Twitter uh, about video games before they've even come out, like certain games, like I hate this thing, it's going to suck, it's terrible. I'm like, why Why are we hating on these things that other people might love? Like if you have right. criti- criti- a critical lens to it and you're like, this mechanic doesn't work or these graphics are bad, fine, whatever. But like to, to just rain on people's parade for no reason didn't make sense. So it inspired me to start this series where I have a different host every episode take about five to 15 minutes talking about a game they love and why they love it. Um, and I have folks right. from all over doing it. And it's like, it's fulfilled me in a way during the quarantine that I don't know it, that it would have if I was still working my day job and I, I, wa- I wasn't stuck at home. I think we right. all pursue things that allow us to continue to live and grow and learn and and feel fulfilled while we're stuck at home and we can't go outside. Right. And also, like, you learn to – or relearn stuff. Like, I've been taking dance class, you know, online, and it's just sort of like I'd sort of given up and be like, I'm never just going to enjoy dance class. But now I'm, like, doing it online with, um, I believe, to achieve fitness. And, like, my friend Shannon Stowe, she's also teaching dance online. And it's just fun. I was like, oh, my God, I never thought dance would be fun again. 
you know, like this is, I'm getting to move my body. I'm getting to create. And, you know, if I kind of like fuck up, it doesn't matter. Like this is just nice, you know? Um, and just having, I think that pressure of, you know, like I can make something and it doesn't have to be like amazing, you know, I'm just making mm -hmm. it because it makes me happy. Like with your podcast, you're like, I just want to do this because it speaks yep. to me. I think now that we're not in the hubbub of our daily lives, it's like, we, I guess in a way, weird way. And like seeing this with a lot of people, it's like you have permission to just do stuff, you know, yep. um, it doesn't have Absolutely. to be anything. Yeah. But then there are other people who are like, well, I don't want to do it because it's not going to be good. And what's the point? And, and I get uh, that too. Yeah. Yeah. I get that too. Um, yeah. I mean, I've fought with that too. It's like just For writing. Sure. I'm just like, Oh, blah, blah. And uh, that's when it also helps to like have a partner. Um, yes. yeah, like Betsy, who, you know, Betsy Sanders, it's like uh -huh. she and I have been writing. Yeah. She and I were writing this TV show and we just like having fun doing it. You're just That's like, oh, so just, awesome. Yeah. Like we're putting this Bible together and we're doing this and we're doing that. And we're just like laughing as we come up with these like season arcs. Cause we're, you know, both also nerds. So we're like, and then in season three, like this will happen <laughs> and blah, blah. Like, it's just super, you know, it's just fun. And like, if somebody picks it up, great. And if someone doesn't, like, we just had so much fun doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's important to it is enjoying the process along the way. If you're tearing your hair out along the way, that then even when you get to the end, like what's going to be the point i think it's it's finding that joy in those things where you can that are going to only strengthen the things that you're making um, right exactly and, and uh i i mean i do have to say and i will say it on the air that you and betsy and that whole crew that i met through from uh through sarah all of you have been so supportive of me and sarah both on the internet and in person like I have an endless amount of uh, love and uh, thankfulness for y'all. Like, I remember how just how genuinely excited you were at the wedding, which is already over five years ago, which is insane to oh me. Oh my god! I know the pictures came up in my Facebook feed. I'm like, oh my god! Like, god, are you kidding me? Like, that was a great fucking wedding. Am I allowed to curse? Thank you. Have yes, you're allowed okay. to curse. Yes, absolutely. That was like a great fucking wedding. Like, Thank I was you. just like, we had such a blast. Like, <laughs> this is so much fun. And then, like, Sarah's getting, like, up there on the stage, and she's, like, rocking out in the guitar. I was like, this rules like it was oh, it was just so great yeah. well i mean it was extra special to have you all there i think that um it, it's rare that you find friends that even if you don't know them that well that they give you their all and what, that's what i love about you kathy and why i think we've connected so well even though we don't get to spend a lot of time together is because you seem to put a hundred percent or more into everything that you do including friendship including you know your acting and everything else and it definitely shows Aww. i see it everywhere Thank so you. Yeah, it's, I don't know, I don't do anything by halves. I mean, and it's, it's so funny, because it's like, I always used to think that was something that was off about me, you know, it was just right. like, you know, when I was like, growing up, people would be like, Oh, God, you're way too much. And I'll be like, <laughs> Okay, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I know, it's like, you're too much. And, and then I mean, I remember this is so bringing up like this really great memory but like when I first started grad school and like meeting Sarah and just like liking her immediately because you know again I'm, I'm like thinking about like all the tv boards that I was like on at the time like television yeah. without pity whatever happened to television without pity you know anyway I don't know, I don't know but television <laughs> without pity and just being like you know being obsessed with like boards for like Dawson's Creek oh god I'm totally nerding out right now and <laughs> just be like reading spoilers and all this kind of stuff and and like for other shows as well and then for some reason it came up in conversation with me and Sarah and I was like oh I like you okay like you know and we were getting looks too because some people were like what the hell are you two talking about <laughs> yeah and but then other people too like came up to us and were just like yeah like have you been reading on the boards like this and that we're like yeah oh my god and I'm like oh my people but it was like when I started working in um, filmmaking too it was the same thing it was like suddenly I wasn't like the freak anymore like there were people mm -hmm. who knew more than I did yeah. you know um and I mean like dude like I thought I was a nerd but you were like a nerd <laughs> you know like wow I need to turn my card um 
but that and then I worked in animation for a while and like animation like the people like you will never find better people like they're just like everyone is just a nerd everyone is just owning it and um and um they know again like way more than you <laughs> like a lot of these designers and directors and writers like and you know those are like some of the funnest parties I've ever been to. So, and all of them are giving it them. They're all like, nobody half asses it, you know? Um, and, and then life is fun when you half ass it. Like, don't you think it's yeah. like, if you just go through it and just be like, okay, I guess like, you know, it's just, I don't know. It's kind of like, uh, sad. <laughs> I, I feel like people who consume entertainment of any kind or art of any kind have a better lens now in a modern age to know if you're phoning it in. And I think it's it's pretty apparent pretty quick. And I think authenticity is more important now than it's ever been. Um, but um, but I, I want to thank you, Kathy, for taking the time to hang out with me and chat with me. Yeah. This has been a pleasure. Um, before we wrap up, I have one final thing that I need you to do for me. Um, we have a saying on the show. I don't know if you're familiar, but it's music is life and life is good. It's this idea that if you're creating art or engaging with art, even when life is at its worst, you can still pull some good out of that. You can still find comfort in that. So I would ask for you to just sign off the show by saying music is life and life is good. Music is life and life is good. That's it for this episode of Crash Chords Autographs. Our theme music is by Michael Kill. Our logo was designed by Case Aiken and Joey Amans. If you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes and Facebook. You'll help us reach more listeners. Questions, comments, or guest recommendations? Email matt.storm at crashchords.com or hit us up on Twitter at Crash Chords Web. Thanks for listening. Hi, this is Victor Devon, and I am the host of We Burlesque, the podcast. Every Monday, I talk to fabulous denizens of nightlife, including burlesque performers, both seasoned and new to the form, drag performers, performance artists, DJs, and artists who make up their respective scenes. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. Please visit weburlesque.com to check out episode recaps and see all the formats available. And remember that music is life. Life is good. Video games are a unique medium. They can tell stories. Immerse us in strange, fantastic worlds. Blur the very boundaries of our reality. But at the end of the day, video games are fun. Whatever fun is to you. I'm Jeff Moonen. And I am Matt A.K. Stormageddon. And on Fun and Games, we talk about the history, trends, and community of video games. It's a celebration of all the games we play and all the fun we find within them. And there's so many more games out there. So we hope you'll share in that conversation with us. Fun and Games podcast with Matt and Jeff. Find us on certpov.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And happy gaming.